we have none of the problems we see today. So my first point is, if multiculturalism is such a benefit for the country, if it's our strength, as Trudeau the communist says, how is it that we have gone from a country in less than 40, 50 years, we've gone from a country that leaves their cars open, their windows open, their homes open, to something where nobody trusts anybody anymore. All the cars and windows and houses and everything are locked every time anybody goes out. And the presumption of honesty has been destroyed in our country now. People are living in fear everywhere we go. We never had that growing up. Sure, you had your small criminal element, but I emphasize it was a small criminal element. And it certainly was not to the gang-related order that you see today in, in a lot of areas. So it's really, really disheartening to see what has happened. And <clears throat> the beginning, in my view, was taking the Lord's Prayer out of the school system. That, that was the, um, the starting point. Because then kids may have started off at home doing the prayer, going to school, but then they would forget about it all day instead of having it brought to their attention immediately right at the beginning of, of, uh, of school. So immigration is a form of constitutional creep. It's a form of religious creep where people literally are, are boiling in water and not knowing they're boiling with the amount of immigration that's coming into the country right now. In just a few moments, Tanya will be coming on to have a conversation with our special guest speaker. And it's always such a treat to have David Lindsay joining us on the Empower Hour. David is the co-founder of Common Law Education and Rights, or CLEAR for short. And many of you will recognize him as a passionate freedom fighter who has been involved in freedom issues for over 30 years. He is the author of several books, including The Annotated Criminal Charging Procedure in Canada, and he has created a 15-part webinar series entitled Common Law Made Clear, which is available for purchase. David has a great knowledge of the law, the Constitution, and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, as well as the Coronation Oath, which is a constitutional document that is essential to restoring our rights and freedoms. David has an enthusiastic supporter of Action for Canada, and he's also our most featured guest. You can view his previous interviews on our website. We are always so happy to have David Lindsay join us on the Empower Hour. David, welcome. We're so glad you can join us once again. Greetings. Thank you very much. And um, I'm just grateful to be back on. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Well, welcome, my friend. That's been a little bit, a few months, I think. It's been a few months since we've had you on. Yeah, <laughs> and when you know I, there, I was going to say, there's I was, lots of good people out there. Yes, uh, but we always love having you on. And when I was uh, planning on taking on this uh, issue and addressing it with all the mass immigration, when I was doing the tour throughout the speaking tour in July and August uh, throughout Ontario, and uh, just listening to the hearts of people whose cities were being flooded with mass immigration, seeing interviews, you know, from uh, actual immigrants who are now living on the street, coming to Canada for a better life. And, uh, you know, a very cold season is just around the cor corner here. 
and it's going to be quite tragic to see what's going on. Uh, but multiculturalism, uh, the failure of that worldwide was something I was writing on already five or six or seven years ago. Uh, it's been a topic of interest. Uh, many, many nations around the world, uh, the Netherlands, uh, throughout Europe and the UK, not just this uh, lady from the UK who's just stepped up right now, but Poland, Hungary have said that multiculturalism is a failure if the host country's values aren't being embraced. And I think it's important for us to be able to verbalize this and talk about it out loud and say it's okay. And understand that with all the critical race theory and all of the way that government was planning to shut down, uh, shut us down from being able to have this topic, is that we've got to be able to say it out loud, this is not about ethnicity. This is not about the color of somebody's skin. It is the condition of the heart and the mind. Um, all cultures are not the same. All belief systems are not the same. They have clashed throughout history. Islam and the West have never been able to coexist together in longevity because there are radical activists who um, have always been able to come in and they have the power and the time and the will to take over. And, and so it does come to a point, we need to understand that we are at war on multiple levels and we have a right to um, um, uh, protect our borders and a right to say who comes into our country and that they align with our beliefs so that we don't lose everything that has been so special about Canada. And uh, so anyways, I'm just going to hand the floor over to you now uh, with that opening and look forward to what you're going to be presenting to us. Thanks. Um, you know, I remember when, <clears throat> excuse me, when the charter came in in circa '82, and the, the debates beforehand, and there was a lot of a lot of debate going on publicly about um, whether the multiculturalism clause was going to destroy Canada, and the media really didn't give it a lot of attention. Um, people were accused of being fear mongers, and they, again, the usual CIA-sponsored uh, term, conspiracy theorists, but. As it turns out, um, those people were correct. And it, it took maybe a little longer than they anticipated. The, the, the governments finally came out uh, within a few years and admitted that, yeah, they were going to switch immigration from Europe, <clears throat> where we had predominantly come from. And they were going to switch them to third world countries and developing countries and other countries that did not share our beliefs. And... I think at that time is where it should have really started uh, people challenging that um, that philosophy, that, that those principles that they were going to work under, because um, you can see the results today, of course. And um, right now, it's getting to the point in some areas of Canada, you know, we're a minority. And um, if you continue to have an immigration policy that allows an enormous amount of non-Christians to enter the country, then it's only a matter of time before you're going to end up with a non-Christian country. And that is the same way as in this particular case of accusing our governments of treason. Because by allowing people in to do that, they have violated, the parliamentarians have violated their oath to the monarch. And of course, the monarch has violated their oath to us. And I, uh, I do want to chat a little bit about the oath and how it applies to multiculturalism. But before I get there, I would like to chat. Um, I got um, 22 PowerPoint slides. I'd just like to, to 
um, spend a few minutes and talk to people about, to give them a bit of an idea where we're coming from on the oath before we actually talk about its relationship to immigration. So I'd just like to start off with that for a second, if we can. And do we have the slides up? Not yet, David. Okay. If you go down to the bottom of Zoom and just select yep. the share screen, yeah. Okay. And that one there. Okay. So one of the things I, I, I start off and I have been for years is a couple of principles that I've um, I've said about trying to apply in, in everything I do. And number one is to give credit for everybody as much as, as much as you can for people who do the work and quotes that you're going to give and so on. And the second thing is to try and bring everything down to a fundamental level. Um, far too often people talk in generalities and that's where fraud lurks. And that is an ironically a maxim of law that fraud lurks in generalities. So I like to talk and bring things down to a fundamental level. And one of the ones that I talk about frequently is, is the definition of what a law is. And when you ask people that, you get a wide variety of answers from statutes to bylaws to policies, um, generic answers. That's just what the government tells you it is and so on. But when you think of a law, a law is a command to do something or not to do something. And um, that's essentially what a command is. And when you think about it in that context, obvious questions then come to mind. Who, who's the person that gave the command? Did that person have the power to give the, uh, com the commands that they're issuing, which requires you to go up the chain of command to make sure that every link is there and isn't missing? Because if one link in the chain of jurisdiction fails, all power fails from that point forward. So immediately you can see a whole bunch of uh, questions need to be asked and answered when you start realizing what a law is, it's not sufficient to say, well, Parliament passed it. Okay, how did they pass it? What was the vote on it? Did it go through the proper procedures and channels? Did that statute comply with our Constitution and any other requirements that are supposed to be uh, enforced? And those questions are, are required to be answered quite a bit with everything we're doing, whether it's the oath, statutes, anything. Always ask who is giving the command and where their power came from. Oh, I didn't get that one in. Okay. Section 9 of the BNA Act is simply the section that vests the executive of Canada, even today, in the hands of the monarch. And our Constitution is not simply the Constitution Act of 1982. We have a number of constitutional documents that go back in our heritage quite a ways. When the judges, for example, wanted judicial independence and they wanted higher money, they went directly to the Act of Settlement in England in 1701, which was only 20 years, 21 years after the Coronation of Act, and a few years later after the English Bill of Rights. So clearly, these documents in English constitutional law are still applicable in our law as well. And it's important to remember that the Constitution Act of Canada is not exhaustive. And when we talk about the oath, although King Chucky, for example, he waited a year, as did uh, his mom, Queen Elizabeth, 
They waited a year before they took their oath. However, the principle applies that once the king or queen dies, that second forward, the next king or queen, is automatically in power, and the principles of that coronation oath still apply from that point forward. So they cannot sit back and go, well, I haven't taken the oath yet, so I can do whatever I want for a year. That doesn't apply. And hence the maxim, the king is dead, long live the king. The king is dead, long live the next king. And that's what that maxim applies. So the coronation oath and the promises that are in it apply from the minute that king, <clears throat> excuse me, that king is in power. Now, in this O'Donoghue case from the Ontario Court of Appeal, Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Saint Laurent mentioned this to the House of Commons. And he said, Her Majesty is now Queen of Canada, um, but she is Queen of Canada because she's Queen of the United Kingdom. It's not a separate office. And that's important. People need to realize it's not the Queen of Canada. It is the Queen of the United Kingdom. And yes, Canada is a country that's part of that, but the rules of succession for the monarch, including the coronation, coronation oath, apply to every country that is out there. And all of those are shared in common with the United Kingdom. And in order to change those, all 10 provinces have to agree. The federal government of Canada has to agree. All the Commonwealth nations around the world have to agree. Then it has to get passed through Parliament in England, and then the monarch has to sign it. That's what's required to change the oath. Now, King Chucky tried to change it this year, over the last year. He tried to get changes made to that oath. But for whatever reason, it did not get through. And I'm grateful for that. Now, here's what would happen if Canada or any other country was to say, well, sorry, the rules of succession don't apply here. And we can make our own laws and do whatever we want. And they were clear that we could break symmetry with Great Britain. We could conceivably recognize a different monarch. And you can involve yourself with countries that are totally opposite to our shared values and beliefs. So it's clearly um, important that we recognize the importance of the coronation oath and the fact that Canada is part of it and does not have the power at this point to get out. Now, the one thing about the oath that is the most important, in my view, is the supremacy of God protection that is in there. And this is something that in that oath goes back to 973 AD. And when the monarch was being sworn in, Queen Elizabeth, the archbishop was very clear. This is the most valuable thing the world affords. And the Bible is called the royal law. Most people don't realize that when you go into a courtroom and you stand for the judge, historically, the reason people stood is because the judge walked into court holding the Holy Bible. That is what people stood in, and, uh, in respect for. They didn't stand in respect of the judge. He's just a little peon. They stood in respect of the Holy Bible. And they took away those Bibles out from the judge from, from bringing them into court. And as far as I'm concerned, that was when the, the loss of uh, really good judges started to happen, in as much as taking the Lord's Prayer out of the school has resulted in the destruction of our society here as well. Now, that oath is supported by numerous case law. I'm not going to show them all here today that I have, but this is just to point out the courts have upheld Christianity is the very foundation of our law. 
and we incorporated that incorporated that into Canada when we got the BNA Act. And there's a principle that the law always follows the flag. So when England came here, English law came here as well. Again, um, simply pointing out that Christianity has always been held to be part of the law of England. And those commands that, God's that God's, God provides in the Bible, if the monarch is required to comply with those laws and everything they do, then obviously God's, God's laws are higher. So go back to what I said a minute ago, always look up the chain of command. If our law recognizes the supremacy of God, then we need to look to his laws for what guides the monarch. And if they give royal assent to any statute, including the Immigration Act, that is used to violate God's laws or to destroy God within our country, then they're breaking the law and doing it. And as far as I'm concerned, it would constitute treason. Oh. Now, Halsbury pointed out as well that the Crown is bound to observe the law by statute in terms of coronation oath. And what he means by this is once the king or queen gives royal assent to a statute, they're bound by it. They can't just give royal assent to a statute and say, that's only for you guys, for you commoners. It applies to them as well. And the monarchs need to remember that at all times. And that includes the criminal law. So here are the first um, words of a coronation oath that I'd like to share with you. Because what we're going to talk about on immigration all comes down to, this, to these promises, and there's three of them in the coronation oath. The monarch swears these oaths every time there's a new monarch. They have to swear it by law, and they can't get out of it. The first one, will you solemnly promise and swear to govern the people of the Kingdom of England and the dominions thereto, including Canada, belonging according to the statutes in Parliament agreed on and the laws and customs the same? In other words, the monarch doesn't have free will to do whatever they want. They're bound by the law. And when they say bound, uh, uphold our, our laws and customs, that is our common law. And Spooner in 1890, Spooner in the States wrote a phenomenal article um, exactly about that in um, the obligations upon the monarch to uphold our common law, not destroy it incrementally over the years, either directly or through her judges or his judges, as the case may be now. Will you give, um, will you to the, will you to your power cause law and justice and mercy to be executed in all judgments? In other words, you don't want to go to jail for a parking ticket. If you're ever in court and you're not sure what's happening or you're scared about going to jail, when it comes time for sentencing, always say to the judge, I am asking you, to uphold her, her, His Majesty's constitutional promise to give judgment and mercy today. You can always ask for mercy when you're before the court. And this is, in my opinion, the most important. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God, the true profession of the gospel, and the Protestant Reformed religion established by law? And will you preserve unto the bishops and clergy of the realm, this realm, and to the churches committed to their charge, all such rights and privileges, as by law do or shall or pertain unto any of them, them or any of them. So this is the one where it says, to the utmost of your power, will you maintain the laws of God? And they all say yes. So it doesn't say, will you, in your governance of England, uphold the laws of God? But in Canada, you can do whatever you want. 
It, the original oath did not say that. And I point out that that original oath has never, ever legally, constitutionally been changed. It has not. So the Crown is not able, as I mentioned earlier, to, to disregard the law. They're bound by it. And that's going to be important because when we talk about multiculturalism under the Charter, remember, where did the monarch, where did Elizabeth get the power to sign the uh, Constitution Act of 82, including the Charter? Two hundredths of a second before she signed that, she had a duty under the coronation oath to promote and maintain the principles of the Christian religion, which means if she signed that charter, and those principles or rights and freedoms in the charter, the, the provisions in there, violate her coronation oath, they're of no force and effect. There's a principle of law that one constitutional provision cannot override another. So the charter cannot be used to override her coronation oath. Oops. And what the, the politicians in that have begun to try and tell you is, is, look, you know, politics is politics. Religion is something different. That has never been the case in our history. Engl uh, in English law, even in Canadian law, religion and government and politics have always, always, and law, because law comes from the government and the monarch, have always been together. Always. And of course, as Lord Denning says, religion has always been the superior. Now, here... Lord Mackey was asked at a recent uh, event, what would happen? And it was because he, he was opposed to same-sex marriage. And what would happen if Parliament started to aid and advise the monarch to promote same-sex marriages? And he said, the Queen, under our constitutional arrangements, is expected to act in accordance with the advice of her ministers given through the Prime Minister. The idea of the coronation oath was that it would never be in conflict with that advice. And therefore... It is the responsibility of the ministers of the, of the crown, parliament, Trudeau the communist, to see that whatever advice they give, i.e. whatever statutes they recommend, is consistent with the proper construction of the oath. My hope is a contradiction between what is advised and what is sworn should never arise. If you're advising to break the oath, then you're breaking their oath to the monarch and they're committing a fraud. And... The monarch is not bound by their advice in any way, shape, or form. They're breaking the law. And if there is a conflict, the oath prevails because it is sworn under penalty of perjury. So, royal assent has been refused in Canada on many occasions in the past. I'm not going to list them all, but it has been, and the governor general has disallowed parliamentary statutes in the past. And the lieutenant governors uh, have also submitted documents, I'm sorry, statutes to the governor general, and they have also been disallowed. So I want to emphasize, it has happened. The governor general is not bound in law to give royal assent to every statute passed. It is discretionary. For example, here in Alberta, when they were talking about passing the, um, the Alberta Sovereignty Act, I believe it was called, and the lieutenant governor said, she has a duty to ensure any bill she signs into law follows the Constitution. I wonder if she knows about the coronation oath when she signs these bills in or if she's just looking at the charter. But the admission is telling. She admits as lieutenant governor, she cannot sign any bill into law that violates the Constitution, which includes the coronation oath. 
And here we go with the governor general being the representative. Um, I simply point out, I think I did already, that um, in the provinces, the lieutenant governors, they give, lieutenant's governor, they give royal assent on behalf of the king as well for the provinces, that's all. So we're almost done with the slides. Um, yeah, that's fine. Uh, why, why did those get in here twice? Okay, so here are some instances where grants of the royal assent are void. If the king has been deceived by any false suggestions, if he's been ignorant or misinformed as to the interest of the subject matter, if the language is so general you cannot unreasonably apply it, if it's couched in uncertain terms that you cannot tell how to apply it with precision, if the grant reasonably construed would be injurious to vested interest of other subjects or would work a wrong or something contrary to law, in these cases, it's wholly void or restrained. In other words, if she gives, he gives royal assent to a statute violating the law, the coronation oath, it's void, right? And if that happens, if Parliament continues to do this, as I, uh, I mentioned to Tanya the other day and many others, when I was on the front lines in Ottawa during the truckers' uh, convoy, I told all of the cops, I went right up, right to their mask, face to face, and I said, you swore an oath then to Her Majesty the Queen. I said, you did not swear an oath to Trudeau, and your oath to Her Majesty governs. You should back down, and I told that to hundreds of cops that were there. All um, military are sworn to the monarch. So if the government refuses and keeps recommending bills that violate the oath, then the monarch's bound to, to tell the government to cease and desist doing that. If they refuse, then the monarch is required to dissolve parliament. The governor general comes in and dissolves parliament. If the parliament or MP, PM, uh, prime minister refuses, then the monarch calls in the armed forces and, and literally will physically under, under, under gun take them out of parliament and force them out. That is what's supposed to happen when these guys are taking away our fundamental rights and freedoms, especially the Christian principles that they swore to uphold. Uh, I thought I had one more. No, that was it. Okay. So those are the ones I just wanted to go through with you here today. And I wanted to establish with you the foundation that provides for what we're going to talk about now on immigration. And um, Tanya has been doing this for a long time. A lot of other people have been doing this for a long time. And the immigration that is coming today is, is scary. Um, without naming a, a lot, there's, there's just certain areas of the country which have been infiltrated by people of other religions, and they've taken over. Um, how you can allow millions of people into the country and at the same time try and say to you, you have to assimilate and um, accept our laws is not possible to do it in that rate. Our population will double in the next 28 to 30 years. And it's not going to be from European cultures and the Christian religion, unless we do something major about it. I share that with a number of others when I say we need an immediate 10-year moratorium on all immigration, period. Minimum 10 years. We've got enough people here already. We don't need any more. One of the primary reasons for, uh, driving immigration was to get more people here to help pay interest on the debt. 
That's one of them. The other one, of course, is to divide and conquer and to get mass amounts of people here where suddenly people like myself don't feel safe in our communities anymore. Um, when I grew up in, um, in Winnipeg, people kept their doors open, their cars open. Um, it was predominantly Christian areas. And we had none of the problems we see today. So my first point is, if multiculturalism is such a benefit for the country, if it's our strength, as Trudeau the Communist says, how is it that we have gone from a country in less than 40, 50 years, we've gone from a country that leaves their cars open, their windows open, their homes open, something where nobody trusts anybody anymore. All the cars and windows and houses and everything are locked every time anybody goes out. And the presumption of honesty has been destroyed in our country now. People are living in fear everywhere we go. We never had that growing up. Sure, you had your small criminal element, but I emphasize it was a small criminal element. And it certainly was not to the gang-related order that you see today in, in a lot of areas. So it's really, really disheartening to see what has happened. And <clears throat> the beginning, in my view, was taking the Lord's Prayer out of the school system. That, that was the, um, the starting point. Because then kids may have started off at home doing the prayer, going to school, but then they would forget about it all day instead of having it brought to their attention immediately right at the beginning of, of, uh, of school. So immigration is a form of constitutional creep. It's a form of religious creep where people literally are, are boiling in water and not knowing they're boiling with the amount of immigration that's coming into the country right now. How can you bring one million people this year into Canada and ask yourself the obvious, who the heck is doing all the processing for these people? How many, how many government officials are there to process them all? You either have to take it at an extreme level, 1 million people, in which case one person does one immigrant and probably spends a lot of time with them, or you've got to maybe a hundred people doing a million, in which case nobody screens them. There's just not enough time. So they just rubber stamp them. And you get all sorts of undesirables coming into the country as a result. Significant amount of undesirables because they're not properly screened and vetted to come into the country beforehand. Taking immigration from third world countries was the worst mistake Canada ever made. They will destroy our country from within. In my opinion, it's called treason. And the members of parliament who vote for this under the guy, because most of them are too scared to say anything. They don't want to get labeled with this hate crime, falsified hate crime, um, and everything else. And they don't want to say anything. 200 grand a year is a lot of money to turn down, especially the pensions that go along with it. And they won't risk it even if they destroy their country. And some of the questions I like to ask our members of parliament, how do you support your oath that you took to the monarch and support mass immigration as well when one is diametrically opposed to the other? I never seem to get an answer. Or they try to evade the question, or they'll try to rely on the charter only on multiculturalism and ignore the fact that multiculturalism in the charter is a violation of our constitution. And it's a violation of the coronation oath of the monarch. So at some point, 
and I don't know why it hasn't happened earlier. I can only surmise it's because the legal community has been told not to, in as much as the judges are given training by the executive in our government on gender equality and everything else, which raises the obvious point, if the judges are getting trained by the by the uh, politicians on gender, how are you going to get a fair and impartial hearing? And how are you going to get anything from members of parliament when they're given the similar training? And none of these members of parliament have any knowledge of law. We're voting in stupid people. We really are. And um, I've, I've said before, we need, and Tanya's mentioned it, we need a lot of people. And last election municipally was the first time that I have ever seen so many freedom people, freedom activists and beliefs, believers running for office. And it scared the heck out of them. They were so worried about us getting into power. And I guarantee you, we are going to get stronger because a lot of people now are finally realizing not only that the water has, has been boiling for a long time, but there's almost no water left in it. And we're almost going to fry if, if we don't do something uh, about the immigration issue as soon as possible. Um, a lot of new articles are coming out. I'm, I'm grateful to see people are finally starting to write about it because for far too long, people were in fear. If you said anything about immigration, you were a racist, you were a hater, and no, everybody would just walk away and nobody wanted to deal with you. That's changing, and it's changing very rapidly, and I'm glad to see that. And as somebody mentioned the other day, the majority of people no longer go to mainstream media for their news. They go to social media and independent reporters. And that's, that's something where you're going to find a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the truth coming from as well. So we need to bring in not only more Christians into the country and make that a requirement for coming in. How can, like, one of the things I've mentioned is that coronation oath has two aspects to it. One is positive, one is negative. When it says you shall to the utmost of your uh, power uphold the principles of the um, Christian religion, then there's an obligation on you to promote Christianity, to promote it in the schools. In fact, I say there's an obligation, there's a duty to do that. Promoted in the schools, promoted in the workforce, promoted in politics, every aspect of, of our society should be promoted. That is the only reading you can give to the words utmost ability to uh, utmost power and ability to do. And the other aspect is the negative connotation. It means that you have to ensure that you don't sit on your butt and do nothing. Well, in this case, the immigrants come and take over our country and bring their non-Christian values into our country and, and then start getting their members in parliament to take over. The negative inference means simply that um, you can't allow other people to come in and destroy our Christianity. You have to protect it. So there's two, two sides of the same coin for that coronation oath when you talk about their, their uh, duty to protect Christianity. One is to go on the offensive and have in a school's um, programs, positive aspects, and so on. And the other is to make sure nobody comes into the country and says, we're going to take it over and bring communism or atheism or any other religion um, into, the, into our country and take it over on a provincial, municipal, or federal level. All of these people need to know, and all of the government officials need to know. When you swear that oath of allegiance, an oath of office to the monarch, you have no power, no more powers than they do, which means... If the monarch cannot give royal assent to an immigration act, 
that says we're going to allow a million people from third world countries who are non-Christians in the country, you as a member of parliament and as a member of the uh, legislature cannot aid and advise the monarch to do that without breaking your oath in the process. And we need to start getting something across to all our elected officials that the Constitution is not restricted to the Charter or the Constitution Act of 82. We've got case law to back it up from a lot of high courts, and we've got case law to back up that the Supreme Court of Canada, or from the Ontario Court of Appeal, that the Coronation Oath is the foundational document, and even the judges cannot change it. As a result, if they're going to say that they're bound by the Constitution, are you bound by just the charter? The rest of it doesn't matter? You know, um, or are you bound by the whole thing? And if you're bound by the whole thing, you need to look at that coronation oath, which goes all the way back. You've got to include the English Bill of Rights, Act of Settlement, and several other documents. As I mentioned earlier, it's a lineage of documents that form our Constitution. And they, they need to go back and look at all those documents. No more willful blindness. No more recklessness. No more putting yourself first. And no more swearing an oath that you either don't know what it means or you then swear it and you walk out and you start breaking it the very, fo the very following day. That has got to end. These people in positions of power need to know they will be accountable and they will swear an oath to her, to her majesty or his majesty at the, at the present time and they will swear an oath and they will keep it. And if they don't like doing that, don't come here. Don't run for power in politics. If you want to run for power, and you are a Muslim, or you are any other religion, what are you going to do when you swear an oath to allegiance and an oath of office to Her Majesty or His Majesty? I dealt with the Queen too long. Um, because that oath goes back a thousand years and has not generally been changed. It is the foundation of our law. You come here, you assimilate. As Putin even said in Russia, you come to Russia, you adopt our laws and customs, or don't come here. And it's the same in Canada, because if you don't adopt that philosophy, then you will get taken over from within. So when you come here and you swear that oath, you have a duty. Are you going to swear an oath to uphold your religious deity, whatever it may be? Or if you're an atheist, to do uphold nothing? Or are you going to swear an oath to uphold God's laws that the, Her Majesty provided for? Because if you swear that oath of office and oath of allegiance to the monarch, you're bound by the same oath principles, promises that they swore. And if there's a conflict, you can't, you can't serve two masters. You can't. So I don't want to see non-Christians in positions of power because you cannot then serve both masters. And if there's a conflict and, and you serve the other master, you're committing fraud on your oath. And if you don't want to break your own religion... Don't get into positions of power. You look at Singh, for example, for the NDP, right? He had to swear that oath. He didn't like it. But too bad. That's our law. You assimilate when you come here. Don't come here and try to change our law. And if they come here to try and change our law, that is warning bells to all of us. What the heck is going on? What are these guys doing? By coming here and trying to change our law from within. Well, David, you know, I, I've got to, you know, come in and interject on this now, too, because sure. I'm in total and complete um, agreement with you. And I just want our viewers to know, and uh, those of you who are going to watch this Empower Hour on our Rumble page afterwards, uh, you know, um, 
we're talking about things that were those taboo issues that must be addressed. And I feel like Action for Canada has always been at least two years ahead of the crowd. And uh, so when COVID came along and I wrote that report in March of 2020, uh, government corruption, including with a foreign syndicate and calling on people to get back to work and to come out and rally. And I received some, you know, nasty emails about, I hope you get COVID and die. And I thought that's okay. These people are going to figure it out that what I'm saying is right. What I'm proclaiming and what I'm trying to ring the warning bells on is correct. You were at the front line doing that as well as a handful of other people. Now, all of a sudden we've got these massive amounts of Canadians who are awake. Well, two years ago, even even though I've been working on it for uh, seven years, the Soji One Two Three and bringing awareness and creating resources. Two years ago, I had people, you know, come to the email who were just uh, specific coming to Action for Canada because of the COVID issue, our notices of liability, mass vaccines, etc. And they would say, "Oh, you need to take those things down about the LGBTQ, and you need to remove that, you know, about the rise of political Islam in Canada." And I'm like, "Have you read the information? I'm not taking it down." So then we've been very boldly speaking out, and I'm getting to a point on this, very boldly speaking out for many years about the radical LGBTQ, what was going on, uh, you know, in our schools. People within the our independent movement, within the freedom movement, when I would get up and speak, they would want to distance themselves from me because of, uh, you know, the things that I was saying. Even though I was ahead of the game, everything I was says was right. Now, all of those people are on the front lines. Guess what? Fighting against the soji, the grooming and uh, of our children and the pedophilia. Now, I'm just saying this to all of you. Please realize we're ahead of you on the game on this as well about immigration. Many of you may be aware. And but I'm I'm going to read you something and uh within the next 2 weeks next week I have Alex Newman coming on. We're going to talk more about multiculturalism, death of a nation, and then um the week after that on the 18th Majed El Shefi will be coming back to the show and we're going to talk about all forms of extremism in Canada. Uh, the major extremism, we can go to the different ones. We're going to be addressing them. Like I said, there's a major action coming along with this as well. I'm not going to give it away tonight, but uh, we can say Chinese communism. The CPC is a threat. All of those wonderful Chinese people who've moved to Canada, many of them godly Christian people, fled China because of communism. Right? We have uh, wonderful, I know, Pakistani people, people from India, they fled because of the oppression in those nations. And then the Khalistani Sikhs, right? The, there is Khalistani extremism, which Jagmeet Singh, there's videos and information with Jagmeet Singh aligned with him. How did he ever get in a position in office? Would I be able to go and run for office in uh, Pakistan, North Korea, China, or, or um, any of the 56 Islamic majority countries? It's a hard no. So why are we allowing other people with very different cultural uh, um, understandings and different belief systems being permitted to be in office in Canada? I think it should be a hard no, and we need to bring a stop to that. Now, what I'm going to show you is um, with all of this million march, many of you know Action for Canada, for various reasons, has decided to uh, do a pass on this. Uh, we've been on the front lines fighting for our kids. Uh, we are outside of the schools, reaching thousands and thousands of parents and advising them, not just getting you know the people together on the front line. And so that parents will be aware. We're doing a lot of hard work in, in uh, 
going into the school board, serving notice of liability and legal actions. I'll be telling you more about that. All right. So now what we've got is uh, there are some wonderful people who very much care about their children who are uh, speaking out. Epoch Times did an article as a result, and the Muslim Association of Canada has uh, sent out uh, a demand for Trudeau to uh, issue a, uh, they've issued a statement, but demanding on Trudeau to uh, apologize for calling people homophobes and, uh, you know, all the rest of it. You know how Trudeau is. Now, at the end of the article, the individual, whoever Epoch Times was interviewing from Mac, again, Muslim Association of Canada, Mac says, they go to say, Mac says on its website that its understanding of Islam, this is the quote, is one of balance and moderation, constructive engagement in society, focus on personal and communal empowerment, and establishing value-based organizations as articulated in the writings of the renowned reformist Imam Hassan Albana. It goes on to say, Mr. Albana founded the Muslim Brotherhood in the 1920s, which developed into a globally influential and religious political organization. What they do not say, and they end the article, what they do not tell people is that the Muslim Brotherhood is designated as a terrorist organization. So here is this this writer with Epoch Times, and Epoch Times has been very trusted. They've really reported well. But in the Muslim Brotherhoods, they have something called the Explanatory Memorandum. And in their memorandum, it states this, the process of settlement is a civilization jihadist process with all the words mean. The Ikhwan, Muslim Brotherhood, must understand that their work in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of the believers so that it is eliminated and God's religion, the Islamic religion, is made victorious over all other religions. This is the Muslim Brotherhood's plan. It's been used, the explanatory memorandum has been used in one of the largest cases in the United States. This memorandum was found in a second basement in the Muslim, in one of the Muslim Brotherhoods uh, in, in the United States, and that's how they found this document. So they're not going to come in with guns and knives, and they're going to come in quietly. They're going to come in with a smile on their face. They're going to come in and get into government positions that are trusted. And so what we have going on right now is granted very many nice people. You know them, you're your neighbor, but they're the not the ones that are concerned. The concern It's the ones with the plan to have Islam has a plan for world domination. So that's one area of concern for us about multiculturalism and allowing unfettered um, immigration without integration. Then you have the Khalistani Sikhs who have Khalistani camps set up where they're doing training. We've got to remember that the Sikhs are really without a country. And so they need a place. So in Surrey, they're the, one of the largest populations. I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm going on here, David, but I think I know that no you're problem. in agreement with me. And this is Absolutely. an opportunity, right? Yep. This is what we want people to understand. The largest Vesak, second largest Vesaki pl- uh, parade in the world is done here in Surrey. Over 100,000 people come on their floats. They have terrorists that they honor. The ones that, uh, you know, killed as many people in that, uh, that plane that came down. 
The Khalistani Sikhs in private meetings of, of people that I know who have told me have said, you Canadians are so stupid, we're coming in and we're taking over. Now, this is not my lovely Sikh neighbor that I, I just love to say hello to, all right? But these are the terrorists coming in, and the majority of all mosques and temples in Canada are under surveillance. Do you know how much that is costing Canadians? Should we be able to talk about this? Why is the RCMP? So I believe it is re reasonable that it is time to stop being nice Canadians. Really, it's so dumb of us to just sit back and feel like we have to be uh, silent while we're being invaded and taken over. And one of these tribes is going to win, whether it's the communist China, uh, CPC, whether it's the Khalistani Sikhs or whether it's Islam. They aren't in Canada to integrate and assimilate. There are those that love this country and are grateful to be here, but the greater threat is what needs to be managed and handled right now, and that is the threat that we are addressing, not the nice people that we know. They should be assisting us in this, but they should be the ones championing it and telling their tribe to stop being a tribe and to be Canadian, to speak English out of respect when they go in public, to understand that they came to Canada as a beacon of hope, and that beacon of hope is going to be crushed if they do not assimilate and integrate, and if they do not help us expose the corruption of what wants to overtake our nation. And, and so, David, just in everything that you've said, we have a right to do this. Other countries have a right to their sovereignty, and so do we. So I'm so grateful that you've come on and been able to give that presentation and help us to understand the importance of the Coronation Oath, to understand for atheists, for the LGBTQ, for agnostics, to understand that this is what gives you your freedom. And, yeah. and so just back to you to make any comments that you like. No, you're right. The, um, the oath is the starting point. It applies to all aspects of our society. And um, if you take that away, as I've said for a long time, if you take that coronation oath out of the way, um, it's just a matter of a couple of years until you're into communism. That is the main thing that has really kept us in the even the, the ongoing destruction of our freedoms. But that was the main thing that kept us going for centuries. And we cannot allow it to be taken away. The other thing is, um, look at what the Chinese government is doing here. They're getting people to come in. They're setting up their own shops for, for enforcing Chinese law on people here in Canada. And exactly um, that that's simply absolutely unheard of. Um, and the Canadian government, they're, they're taking their time wasting with all these stupid committees. They should be going in with the armed forces and shutting those places down and evicting them out of the country right away. Not setting up a, a, a committee that's going to waste millions of dollars and take a year or two to, to come back and say, well, it's there, but it's not that bad. Or they shut it down. Mm -hmm. And they, meanwhile, they shut it down. They just moved somewhere else. Um, as long as those are there, um, there's a real problem when, when, uh, when those types of people are coming into the country and they do not integrate and they do not assimilate. Um, right. There's a real, real problem on that. There is. And we it's us, right? I mean, we need to demand this. We need to stop being such nice Canadians. We need to be smart when we're electing people into office. Uh, you know, we've uh, elected in, we're getting what we've elected in. And, uh, you know, people were not looking at uh, the character of the individuals and the core belief systems of the people that were uh, running for office. And uh, the reasons is why they, they even are voting by uh, party. And uh, we need to stop voting for party. And when we're talking about mass immigration right now, uh, what we're looking at right now is they're trying to say it was replacement population, you know, because we're not having as many children. Well, why is that?
is because our kids can't afford housing because so many of the Chinese are coming in and buying up our properties and they don't even live here. They'll go back to uh, China and they'll buy influential properties. We're talking about the rich. And so, as you said, the government is getting taxes on that, but the wives are here with their children. They're putting in as no income and they're going to the dentist and getting all their dental work paid for. And, you know, while they're they're, and I know this for a fact, because I've spoken to some of these people, I know a friend that works in a dental office. So that's one part of the immigration. But another major one right now for a tyrant like Trudeau is votes. He is flooding the country with grateful immigrants coming out of third world situations, giving them immigration status where they shouldn't be able to vote for at least what is it three or five years. And now they're five years, and now they're uh, coming on board. And if I'm not mistaken, they're going to be able to, to vote in the next elections. And, and, and so this is treason that we're experiencing in this nation. It's also yeah. greed, because there's a lot of elected officials, mayors, who where I and I'm again, it's not just to target them. White people are dishonest as well. Trudeau is right white, and I can't stand him. He's pure evil, but he's not a Christian, right? And I'm telling you, you know, that, that there's going to come a day of judgment for him if he doesn't get on his knees pretty soon and, and beg for forgiveness and repent. But the point is, is that when we're bringing individuals in from other third world nations, they don't have the same um, ethical values that we've always had. And so what we're finding is they come in, they get in the building industry, and a lot of people are complaining because the building standard is not the same. And somebody at City Hall is having their hands greased in order for them to pass inspection. And and so it has to be one law for, for all. The government is trying to race bait. They're trying to, uh, you know, uh, based on the color of the skin, John uh, Mayor Tory would go into the Toronto police. And I know this because the sergeant was reporting it to somebody I know. And he was seeing how many brown people were being arrested, regardless of the crime they committed. And then he was uh, reprimanding. That's what's been reported, reprimanding the police officers. So police officers would nickname it was called a drive-by, drive-and-go. I can't remember what the term was. And that if they saw a brown person doing crime, they were going to just drive by unless somebody called it in. Because they weren't going to come back and be reprimanded rather than on the crime itself. And this is why they try to hide the crimes when the CBC, Global News, and are reporting on it. We had an Islamist yell out Allah Akbar several months ago here in Surrey on a bus and slit somebody's throat. You're not going to hear about it. But this kind of crime is increasing in Canada. Like you said, there's always been crime. There's always evil in communities. But this is a kind of crime that traditionally Canada does not see. Europe never saw it until the Islamists started flooding their nations. We look at Islamic nations. We look at uh, how Christians are faring in those nations. We look at Pakistan. People feel unsafe to travel to these unless you're in areas that are for tourism. And, and I'm sorry, but I'm just, I'm speaking the truth. And then the other thing that I have to acknowledge as well, you know what? Yes, Klaus Schwab, uh, Klaus Schwab Bill Gates are all white and they're committing genocide right now. There is evil. But if we care about who we have coming into government, it will it will determine how they govern. 
And so this is something that we need to look at going into into elections. This is why we need chapters in every single community across this nation. This is why every single Canadian and every single congregation and church need to get involved. But every Canadian, regardless of uh, what you believe, need to get involved in chapters and start helping us vote good people into office. And I believe 100% we have a small window to turn this around. But we got to be able to talk boldly about these issues. Yeah, and you know, if we um, if we talk on a bit of a linear fashion, let's go back to just when I was a kid. Uh, we had a debt, but at that time, my dad went out and he worked, he worked hard, and he provided for the family, and most of them did. And at that time, the birth rate was high enough to for the population to keep growing. And as usury continued to wield its sword and government borrowed more and more, taxes went up and up to, to pay for this usury on the debt. And suddenly... People, the fathers primarily, but even the mothers, one person could not go out and, and, and provide for the family. So now both had to go. And so both are going out to work. The kids are in daycares. They're getting raised by non-loving people and people with different beliefs and so on. And they don't, they just grow up with different values and ethics. And as it turns out, and you get more and more, now, even with both parents making, they're not paying the debt. So immigration had to go up. And then they start bringing in immigration and they don't want critical thinkers like us coming in. They don't want those types of people. They want people that are going to vote for them, don't they? And that's exactly the people they're bringing in. And that's why more and more of the immigrants are getting into positions of power that I predicted 15, 20 years ago was going to happen. I told people, I said, you watch. I said, you look now, most of the politicians are white, but I said, you wait in a few years and you're going to see more and more in the communities that um, say are primarily 80% of a different religion or whatever, they're not going to vote for us. They're for us Christians. They're not going to vote for us. They're going to vote for their own people and get them in and try and they're not going to vote them in just for them to sit there and uphold our laws. They're going to get them into power to change our laws to meet what they want. And and that's what's going to have to be stopped. Well, and this is what it is, right? Is I I mean, and you know, Kudos to the Muslims. I mean, if they want to come in and and they want world domination and take over, uh, you know, they're not being shy about it. And so they're coming in and pushing for Sharia banking and uh, halal and uh, meats and clothing and the rest of it, their system. And if we're dumb enough to allow this to carry on and not take a stand, it, it is not Islamophobia to say, no, you can't have a foreign government, a governance in, in our system. This is a democracy and Islam is not. Islam is a political system and it, 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 it affects every single part of, uh, of a Muslim's lives. And, you know, there are Muslims that love their faith, uh, but, you know, the Quran is very clear. And that's why I'm going to appreciate uh, Majed coming on because Majed was a former Muslim who converted to Christianity. He was, he was uh, persecuted, abused, put in the worst prison in, in was it Egypt or uh, Turkey? And uh, you know what? Uh, you know, trying to give up the names of his friends because he was trying to advocate uh, for Christians after he had converted to Christianity. He, he has been, he has a human rights organization going into these nations. And what's he doing? The majority of who he's fighting is uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and ISIS and the rest of them trying to get Christians and other persecuted individuals out of those nations. 
There was never a time before when anybody was trying to get persecuted Christians who were being raped in the streets and uh, mutilated, beheaded, etc. in Canada. It's always been in the Islamic nations. It's always been in Pakistan and India. And now we're experiencing that throughout the UK. Go and look at the reports. They've been flooded, but finally... They have people in government who are boldly saying, you know what, it's about our sovereignty. And next week um, in the action, I'll be providing, Alex Newman did an interview with one of the top individuals in Poland, and Hungary is doing this as well, and saying that we have refused immigration without integration. We demand it in our nation. What a beautiful thing where Christians have a place to live. Why can't the rest of the world just respect that? I respected the 56 Islamic majority countries. That was their belief system. We're calling on you to respect us and then to leave. If you cannot integrate and assimilate, you have the choice to leave. But we are going to be taking stronger actions to demand our government do that. And when I said earlier... We were out there on COVID-19 leading the pack on this. We've been out there leading the pack on the LGBTQ. It wasn't the Muslims as much as it's wonderful that they started a march. We prepared the ground for them to do that. It was the Barry Neufelds who was dragged through the court systems, hundreds of thousands of dollars, his name through the mud, because he was a school board trustee who stood up and said no to Soji seven years ago. It was the father who was put in prison for telling the B.C. government to get their hands off his daughter while they were mutilating her body and putting her on hormone drugs. It was not the Muslims. They've just stood up now. All right. It's the Christians. Everybody says, where were the Christians? We were fighting for seven years. Thank God you're all finally, you've woken up and on board. And we're going to be on the front line of fighting this issue as well. And we hope that we will have all your support as we go into this Mm -hmm. mighty spiritual battle, because that's what this is. This is a spiritual battle for our faith and to maintain that in Canada. And if I I can leave you with two thoughts. Number one is we as Christians have a duty, a duty to do something. If you want that Christianity in the coronation oath and you want the benefits, you have a duty to do something. And the first thing I would suggest to everybody is start uh, writing your members of parliament, everyone, and demanding a 10-year moratorium on immigration. All immigration. I don't care where it's from. 10 years right now. Stop. Well, I hold off. uh, You know what? I'm going to interrupt you, David, because that's actually the issue that's going to be our action coming out for people. So um, David is 100% right. And so just to give you some direction in what we're doing, we're going to give you all of the language that you need to do, uh, that you need to write your elected official on this issue. And I've had it go through my lawyer as well. We'll get this information out to you. This country, these elected officials need to respond on this. And David, you're 100% right a moratorium on immigration needs to be implemented immediately. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The harm has been done and we, we got to stop it. And it's not going to be stopped by incremental levels. It needs a full stop right now. And, you know, I've said before, and I look at, uh, you know, where I've lived all uh, everywhere. And I've said, why the, the operative question, why do we need immigration? Why do we have to keep growing and growing and growing and growing? Um, we've got the men, we've got the materials, we've got the knowledge, we've got everything we need to live wonderfully here. Um, we don't need to be bringing in people from all over the world 
who have a different agenda, different belief, and are going to promote that as opposed to what we, our hardworking ethic that we built this country with. And um, and I say that in general terms because yes, there are some really hardworking immigrants that have come in and. Kudos to them. I, I, I really want to emphasize that. But you cannot be bringing as a group nothing but third world immigrants coming into the country are predominantly third world uh, immigrants, 90 percent of which are. You cannot be bringing them into the country and think you're going to, as you said, Tanya, they don't know our work standards or work ethics or anything else and expect that same quality. You're not going to get it. No, we need to help third world uh, countries where they are. Trudeau, you know, it's been a wealth transfer. You know, when he sends $650 million to Africa for abortions, they don't want that. They would have had it for medicine and clothing and, you know, a medical clinic. And 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 so we have to help uh, those countries overturn, you know, their dictators. We have to focus on Canada. And you yeah. can't bring people that have been uh, brought up in tyranny, They even if they went to a makeshift camp where they were conditioned to understand like Muslims uh, somebody was telling me today uh, they had listened to somebody who was a Muslim last night speaking and they had said when I came to this country we were taught that uh, you know if I killed a Jew I would go to heaven and have my 15 virgins or whatever and then they understood that they had been deceived and lied to now we've been flooded with Muslims coming into the country who have been taught this what kind of outcome do you think we're going to have do you think there will be an increase? We're seeing the increase. You saw the Etrian um, um, Africans that uh, just 150 of them that came to the streets with bats, pipes and two by fours and did so much damage to people's businesses and vehicles, complete violence on the streets while the same thing from this group were going on in Israel. Why are those people in the country? Netanyahu he deported them immediately. He says, that's it. They're all out. There was hundreds of them. Do you hear anything about Trudeau? deporting these 150 individuals, they should have never been permitted to come into the country. I have empathy for people in other nations, but we need to do the training and shifting in their own nation and to assist them there. We cannot bring them in here because the ex what we're experiencing is an increase in violence unlike anything we've ever seen here, such a brutal kind of violence that is coming to the streets of Canada. And like you said, we can't even feel safe uh, to keep our doors unlocked and uh, we need to take some drastic steps. The other thing I was just gonna mention is Victor Urban, when you're talking, Victor Urban, sorry, in uh, Hungary, amazing leader, he is giving incentives for families to have children. I mean, we're talking huge financial incentives for the mother to stay home and uh, incentives towards their mortgage. And the more children they have, uh, the more incentive, financial incentive they receive from the government. Our kids cannot afford to buy a place. How can they afford to have maybe more than one child? Our government is doing this to our people on purpose. They're impoverished us. My daughter just, you know, got got a hold of me and she says, Mom, I, I'm finding it so hard to make ends meet. I just went to Walmart and I bought and she named a few items and it was $50, Mom. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. This is what Trudeau is doing. This is what Ken Hardy, uh, is a liberal, is doing. This is, you know, you name every single liberal, the NDP, mm -hmm. Jagmeet Singh, every conservative. They may sound like they're fighting for us in the in the House of Commons, but why did every single one of them stand up and give Zelensky a standing ovation last week? He is a murderous dictator. Why did they do that? 
So you got to bring things into question. And, you know, somebody had posted in the chat, it's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, what's the purpose of elections? We got five people into school board trustee positions last uh, last year. Two in Vanderhoof, our teams were working so hard in Ontario as as well as in Manitoba. We got people elected. And that's because we had strong chapters and strong people in the community getting them elected. So please don't give me the excuses we can't do this. We are the majority, but we need everybody showing up. We need all hands on deck and we can win this and we can turn it around. Absolutely. And you know Whew. what? Believe believe in, in, you know, if you want to take action, you need to believe in something. And if you believe in what we're talking about and on Christianity and God is the supreme in our law and in our constitution, if you really believe that, then you need to take action. And you need to be doing something to to do that because people who don't believe in anything generally don't do anything. So stay strong and firm in your Christian beliefs because that is what will keep you going throughout the entire turmoil that we're going through right now. And uh, right. I urge everybody just to stick, you know, to do that. Remember and work with other Christians. Uh, Christ said, I think when two or three of you are together in my name, I will be there and get together and talk and uh, and and work with people because success happened at that last municipal uh, election. As Tanya said, uh, we, we a lot of people, we promoted it here. And I think we got one or two trustees in here. And a mm-hmm. lot of people all over Canada started to have that happen for the first time. And when they start calling you names because they're scared of you getting in, into power and they have no other thing to come back on, you know you're winning. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, David, before we sign off, what I, I want to touch on now, and this is off topic, but very much relevant to all of our viewers and Canadians. And um, Sheila, if you would put David's link in the chat for those of you who are viewing this afterwards, we will have David's link also in the description. And I'm going to ask you um, to obviously donate to Action for Canada. I'm asking for people to become $10 a month uh, supporters. We have a lot of o- overhead, even putting this show on, uh, but doing the work that we're doing and getting chapters into every single community in this nation. That costs money. And we don't mm-hmm. charge anything for all of our amazing resources. We have saved uh, Canadians, I'm going to say hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal, legal actions because of the notice of liability. Now, what this man has been doing is in his own community, he has, uh, for the last over three years, been doing rallies every single Saturday. He's taking a little break now and then, every single Saturday in order to uh, make sure the government knew that we will not comply and we're not going along with this and to bring public awareness. Well, the city of Kelowna has put a petition in place to stop him. And this is unconstitutional. And so David is in a battle for all of us. Because if this sets a standard, can you imagine if we can't go out and rally and protest? We have a constitutional right to do that. So David, can you let our viewers know a little bit about that? And I'm going to let you know as well. David, he comes on and he helps anybody. He's got the biggest heart of anybody I know. So I'm going to ask you today, give a little bit of extra love to David, um, because this man is working around the clock like me for Canadians. And so please give us an update on what you're doing. Thank you, Tanya. Yeah, they, um, we were doing rallies every Saturday against COVID. Uh, during the truckers' convoy, we were getting thousands here in Kelowna. And um, it was really um, positive. And then all of a sudden, after 18 months, they started ticketing me every week. And they've now issued me 200 bylaw tickets and about $50,000 in fines. 
and they know they're I'm never going to pay them. Uh, they they're well aware of it. They, it's just harassment. And then they when that wasn't working, they went public on media and said that they were going to they filed a court action to ban all the rallies, but not just ban them, but ban them in the downtown core. So all the strategic locations that we would protest at City Hall, the media, RCMP, Interior Health and so on, all of those places would would be prohibited under their bylaws. If they're successful in in doing this, they will not allow anybody to protest unless you get a permit from the city first to do it. And it's it's you're not going to get a permit protesting the government by going to the same or affiliated government. It's a, it's a really scary precedent, but I will say that I'm, you know, you don't know how God plans things. And when I got involved, I had no idea that all the legal knowledge I was studying and working on for, for, for various issues would come, that I would be needing them today so much. But I can get into the court on my own. I don't need to hire a lawyer, fortunately. But um, their precedent, if they said it, um, I'm glad I can go in and I can fight them on my own. They thought last January they filed it, that they were just going to file it. I would file a response and they would get a summary judgment in a matter of months. And then all our rallies would be banned. And the thing that's critically important is the media told me here that they were given orders from the BC government not to let anybody have a platform in their media who was opposed to the COVID-19 government narrative. So think about the implications, folks, for that. If you have media that are given government directives that says don't print anything from these people, then you take away their right to be in the public on protests. Suddenly nobody sees anything. And then it becomes a big void uh, other than what the government wants you to hear. So I filed a defense. All the pleadings are on our website, uh, clearbc.org. I filed their petition, all their affidavits. I, I posted them there. My response, which is an 80-page phenomenal legal argument that's just going to destroy these people, and um, and some of the other documents that are up there. And more will get posted over the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm doing a motion to strike on them right now, and it's called um, a SLAP application that started in Ontario. And um, it, it's an interesting law, but suffice to say, it's designed for when governments or people in positions of power try to shut down people who are exercising freedom of expression, exactly what they're doing here. These guys at the city had no idea what was coming their way with what I filed. They didn't have a clue. And now they're they're pretty worried. So um, I'm scared about the precedent, but at the same time, I've put 500 hours into this and I will, I will take it to Ottawa if I have to. I've been filed documents in the Supreme Court of Canada. I know how it's done. And I will go up every every court in the way to get there if we have to. But our goal is to get justice in the court of first instance. In okay. one other city here in Vernon, just two weeks ago, they started already telling people at the protests there that they could not have their sound equipment up. And so it's spreading already. They're starting in other cities to tell them that under our bylaws, you can't have sound equipment in the exercise of your constitutional freedoms. You take sound equipment and you can't talk, talk to more than, effectively to more than, what, 30, 40, 50 people. And if there's traffic, you won't be able to talk at all. It's a necessary incidental part of freedom of expression at all protests to have sound equipment. And they're trying to take that away so we can't do it. And it's spreading. So I'm optimistic. Um, they won't be having a hearing on this till sometime next year. Um, but I'll well, keep everybody it, posted. And uh, because yeah. it, if they get it here, other cities will do it and then other provinces will do it. And it won't be long as uh, with what Trudeau is doing last Friday on the Internet. Um, we're not going to have freedom of expression anymore. 
No. And we've got to just come out. And what are we going to do? Right? Let me just see. Does that show up right? Absolutely. <laughs> we will not yep. comply, right? Our, yep. our, our stuff yeah. is going to be out soon. And we're going to encourage you all to uh, buy this, be out shopping at the stores, wearing the T-shirts. Uh, you know, we got to come out as a force. There's millions and millions and millions of Canadians. And uh, there's more of us than them. And, you know, things are going to come to a head. And these elected officials are seen, you know, with the amount of parents that are coming to school board meetings. Uh, the trustees are scared. And, and they should be. Not because we're going to cause any physical violence against them. We completely do not contone any physical violence. We've never been violent. Uh, we've never uh, initiated any of that. And we never would. And I'm going to make that very clear. Because someone like Mr. Kevin Cardell, the school district uh, superintendent in, in, uh, in your area... Uh, uh, would like to say that yep. we are just by quoting a, a scripture, right? Or showing up to the school board to pray. And so we're making that adamant right now. But what they need to understand is they are harming kids. And they can mock us all they want. I've got the evidence. It's coming out very, very shortly that they are indeed indoctrinating children. We have the proof and the evidence. We have enough people whose uh, kids are being mutilated, being harmed by the hormone blockers and other things. And so we're a force. Um, and in all instances, we got to invest the time. This is a, it's not such a silent war anymore. We see it happening. You can't just go and, and stay home uh, on a Saturday or work in your yard while the rest of us are out here hard and working. We need thousands of people showing up at David's rallies, letting the government know that even if um, they end up putting a law in place, well, you know what? We're going to come out in the tens of thousands. We, we can't let them run roughshod over the law, over the charter, over the coronation oath, and think that we're all going to sit back and say no, all right? That's how tyrants do get into uh, the position and, and have some longevity. So we've got a small window of opportunity here, and we've all got to work like crazy together to get this done. So my friend... Thank you so much. I'm glad that we had an opportunity to talk about uh, the legal action so people could know the work that you're doing. Again, I encourage you. Um, I saw that, uh, I'm just going to go into the uh, chat here, that Greg has already, as we're speaking, sending you a donation, uh, David. And I just want people to know yeah. as well how Thanks hard you're working much. on behalf of all of them. So God I'm bless grateful. you. And you too, and I'm going to keep working. Yes, you do yeah. that. God bless you. And we will see you again. Thank you for all your hard work. Thanks. God bless. Okay. All right. Wow. Whew. I told you this was going to be quite a conversation. And uh, we have more of those coming up uh, next week with uh, Alex Newman will be on the show. And again, we'll be talking about multiculturalism, death of a nation. And remember, my God, does not know about the color of anybody's skin. So this is not about race. It's not about the color of anybody's skin. It's about core belief systems and all cultures are not created equal. It's just, we're not the same. And uh, so we need respect to be respectful of that. I have a home and you know what? I get to say who comes into my home. And if uh, there was going to be individuals that were coming in and causing harm to my family, I would tell those people they need to leave. And, uh, you know, whatever they do in their home is their business. And that's the same thing as far as countries are concerned. If people are running their countries a certain way and they have a very hard belief system that they are firm on, I respect that. 
Don't bring it to Canada. It doesn't belong here because it interferes with our home and our belief system and it causes harm. We want our kids to grow up in an education system that embraces Christianity. And I'm going to let you know something else. Um, the Constitution Act 1867 entrenches Christianity and education. And I bet you are not aware of that. And I'm going to be talking more of that. There was a Supreme Court ruling that supports this. And we're going to be overturning this tyranny in the school. I want to see, again, the Lord's Prayer said in our schools. We're going to start the day right for kids. And that's respectful of everybody else. But the fact is, that's what it says in the Constitution Act. And if we want to see things uh, turning around with education, we need to have a say of what goes into these little precious minds. All right. All right. The week after that, as I mentioned, is going to be Majed El Shefi and with all of his firsthand experience. Okay. This isn't just me um, having grown up in a bubble and outside of the experiences. This is a man that has lived and breathed, breathed the, um, the tyranny and the extremism that is tied to Islam and the so-called religion of peace. And so we're going to unpack that. And Majed is the best person I possibly know to come and help us do that. So be sure to register for those. The weekly action will come out. Make sure that you have joined Action for Canada. If you're watching this on Rumble, please give us a thumbs up. And please share the video and please make sure that you subscribe to our Rumble channel. We cannot go on YouTube. We can't get a million views. Um, we get uh, 50, 60,000, 100,000 views on Rumbles, Rumble, which is phenomenal. But we want to start getting to those million views. We want people to see the work that we're doing and to be well-educated. All right. Uh, the verse for today, which is, I, I think, uh, appropriate. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment, you shall not make idols. And so the verse is from Exodus 23 to 6. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heavens above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And I just want to help you understand and unpack, like these are a couple of the commandments. Of course, there's more. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and to um, honor your parents and uh, so many more. Do not murder or commit adultery. But the reason we're bringing this up is that on, as a Christian nation and throughout history, when a nation turned their back on God, God temporarily turned their back on him. But he loves us. But because we've taken God out of schools, because we're having God removed from government, chaos is what enters. Ungodliness is what enters. Evil is what enters. And evil has no limit. So goodness has no limit of goodness. It's so good. I mean, to live in a life and in a world and in a country that believes in goodness and expects society to adhere to the laws of the land. We had more peace in this nation than we ever have before. But it's when we remove God, when you bring individuals in that have false gods, and we believe every other religion has a small G-O-D, because in the beginning, in Genesis, in the book, in the Bible, the first book of the Bible is Genesis. And 1-1 says, in the beginning, God, capital G-O-D, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And you can date every other religion, whether it's Buddhism and whom, whatever you want. It was a man-made religion. But God, the eternal God, the, over, you know, the God that created all things, including you, that is the God who has control over all things. And when he says he's a jealous God, and if you are going to put idols and you're going to allow false teachings so that our, our kids begin to be drawn in to other things, such as the Soji cult, that's the kind of evil that will open up to them. So we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to God. We need to understand that the standard is a good standard. Purity for our kids is a good standard. Protecting their innocence is an amazing thing to do. And it's not, again, out of any disrespect for other religions, but this just happens to be the facts of how Canada is set up, and we're going to fight for that. And uh, once we do, you're going to see a shift in this nation. And I'll give you an example. We had the prayer walk for revival from Passover to Pentecost, seven weeks. We prayed around school boards. We prayed at schools. We prayed at flagpoles. We prayed around MPs' offices. And do you know by a miracle that New Brunswick, Ontario, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan are all now um, putting policies in place to protect parental rights? The beginning of godly principles, again, is being put in place. The beginning of something good is unfolding. We didn't have to go to court, spend millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. We believe that was an answer to prayer. I believe we should be going outside of um, other religious facilities and going on the public streets, on the sidewalks, and praying for them and praying for God to also do a shift in our nation. Because if he's going to work a miracle with our kids and have governments that were corrupt through COVID all of a sudden standing up and shifting, we're going to give God the glory for that. And we're going to be praying more. And so prayer is the essential part of what we're doing. And I believe that we need to pray that God would strike down the false gods that have risen in this nation and that we need to uh, repent and get back to the one and only God, the one that governs this nation. Respect to others right? But the one and only God that needs to govern this nation. So anyways, that's enough of my preaching for tonight. God bless you. God bless Canada. And we'll see you next week.